Chapter 11 of The Finding of Haldgren by Charles Diffin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bullard of the IBC. The controls of a meteor ship held steady without the touch of the pilot's hand. Chet Bullard was staring at a radio cone on the instrument board in the control room where a voice from some super-powered station was calling. His own radio had been crackling a call, and now this response was coming across the void. Orders from the Stratosphere Control Board. You will proceed at once to New York. Radio Beacon 2X12 will guide you down. Your message received, and we acknowledge report of the finding of the space flyer, Pilot Holgren. Do not discharge any passengers, and land nowhere else than at New York, without direct orders of the board. Keep your directional signal on full power. Our cruisers will pick you up in the highest level. Signed, Commander of Air. Spud O'Malley it was who broke the silence of the room, where only the sound of the terrific exhaust came thinly through. May devils confound him and it's back on the moon with those other beasts I'm wishing I was. At least, a man can get close enough to slam them in their ugly faces. But the commander and his cruisers, sure, there's nothing we can do. Just take our medicine, said Chet Bullard quietly, but I have proven him wrong. Holdgren here is the living evidence of that, and I said I would laugh him from the service. Well, I'm not so sure of that. But surely, broke in Holgren's booming voice, there will be only praise for what you have done. I do not understand. You don't know the commander, my boy, Spud broke in dryly, and you don't know that the lad here defied him to his face and ran the gauntlet of his cruiser's guns to get away and go after you. Ah, grunted the giant, and now I understand. It is the old story an incompetent man in a place of authority. Chet broke in. Not quite right. This commander of ours has done much. He is a driver of men, but there are some of us who thinks he lacks vision. He can never see beyond the stratosphere he rules so ably, and his position is supreme. There is still the governing council. We will appeal. But the master pilot was not listening to Holgren's words. His slim, sensitive hand was reaching for the ball control to build up still more the tremendous blast of the forward exhaust that was checking their speed and making them as heavy as if their bodies were of meteoric iron. A forward lookout showed a black globe. Its circle was rimmed with fire from the sun that it blotted out. A hemisphere of night lay below, the black, mysterious night of a waiting earth. But one strong signal came in on the instruments at Chet's side to show him where on that horizon was New York, and the call of a flagship of cruisers was flashing before him as the lift of the repelling area was felt. Follow, flashed the order. You will follow to New York and through the black night faint flashes of light marked the fleet of swift guardians of the skies that closed in, 
then swept downward and out, an impregnable convoy about the speeding, roaring ship. And there was that in Chet's face as he handled the controls that brought Anita Halgren to his side that she might lift his free hand in wordless comfort and press it to her face. The venerable and beloved man, the President of the Federation, Aeronautique Internationale, stood silent before a vast audience. Throughout the great auditorium was silence. Each of the gathered thousands was listening to the shrieking sirens from the landing field on the roof overhead. Skylights above showed the night air ablaze with red through which the vivid green of landing signals pierced in staccato bursts. From the roof of that building to the highest level of the stratosphere, the air was cleared. No craft of the service would venture to pierce the barrage of light and radio waves that hemmed that aerial shaft. And down that shaft, in a thunder of roaring exhausts, came a shining shape. She sparkled and flashed in the crimson and green of that emergency light. From her bow poured a tornado that blasted the air, then streamed out behind in hot gas like a comet of flame. Then the thunders died. The shining shape turned once slowly in air to show her blunt nose and her cylindrical body before she settled softly as a homing bird to the embrace of the great waiting arms of steel. And inside the building a white-haired man was saying, They are here. Thank God they are here. Their radio has prepared us. Our signals have guided them home. And now it is not New York, nor even the United States of America alone, who attends. The whole world will be summoned. Look. Behind and high above him on a wall was a radio panel. Its signal lamps went suddenly dark. The thin, blue-veined hands of the speaker was pointing. Only twice has the world call flashed. Once when the mole-men came and the future of the world was at stake. Once when the dark moon crashed down from the void and the serpents of space menaced aerial traffic. And now, once again, the whole world is summoned. Every city and hamlet of Earth, every ship of the air and the sea, every vessel on the ocean, under the ocean, and in the air levels above. His voice broke sharply. From the panel there came a thin call, a quivering that was more a trembling than a sound. It reached out to touch raspingly the nerves of every listener. Then the whole board burst forth in a flash of fire, where a flaming crystal leaped to life, and none could see the pulsing flame without thrilling to the knowledge that it was calling a whole world with its wordless summons. The light died. A television detector whined as its motors came to speed, and each watcher knew that the waiting world was connected with that auditorium in New York. All that happened there, each sight and sound, was circling the globe. An announcer's voice roared briefly before the regulator cut down on its volume. You are seeing the Radio Central Auditorium in New York. On the landing stage above, after a journey of 500,000 miles, 
a strange craft has settled to rest. Its pilot, Chester Bullard, once rated as master pilot of the world. Its journey, now safely completed, from the earth to the moon, and return. The world is waiting to greet Pilot Bullard. Though of this, he as yet is unaware. Worldwide radio control is now transferred to Radio Central Auditorium in New York. They are coming. They are entering. But the thousands gathered in that great hall heard no other words from the radio cone. Their attention was focused upon the broad stage, where descending from a lift, a strange group stepped out upon the stage, stood an instant in startled wonder that was near embarrassment, then took the seats to which they were shown. And again the venerable president of the Federation Aeronautique Internationale was speaking. It is less than a month since I stood here before you, when, as again is true tonight, the entire personnel of the executive of the Stratosphere Control Board were gathered to do honor to the pioneers of space, the discoverer. On stage near the speaker, Chet Bullard stared in consternation at a girl in a pilot suit as grimed and ragged as his own. His gaze passed on to the set features of Pilot O'Malley, to the blue eyes of the flaxen-haired giant, then on to where Walt Harkness and Diane, his wife, sat regarding him with happy smiles. Dimly, Chet heard the man at the speaker's stand. And on that other occasion, Mr. Bullard refused a decoration tendered him, and marking him as the first to travel through airless space. I have here, the speaker smiled slightly as he extended his hand where a jewel flashed fire from a velvet case, the identical jewel and metal, and tonight, while the people of the earth are gathered throughout the world, to do honor to Mr. Bullard, it has been given to me the proud privilege of welcoming him home. He turned and held out a beckoning hand toward Chet, in a daze, the younger man arose and moved beside the one who had called him. And now, Chester Bullard, on behalf of the governing council of ruling nations of this earth, I greet you, pilot of the stratosphere no longer, but pilot of endless space. The world welcomes you, and through me it places in your hands this jewel. But you will observe that we older ones may still learn and we do not repeat our former mistakes. We hand you this medal, emblematic of the first penetration of space, to do with as you will. The thin hand was shaking as the speaker turned and swept the audience with one all-inclusive gesture. To you who are before me now, to you out beyond wherever parallels of longitude and latitude are known, I present the Columbus of the Stars, Chester Bullard. And suddenly, Chet found himself alone in a pandemonium of sound. From the countless faces that blurred into one unrecognizable sea came a roar of human voices like waves thundering against storm-worn cliffs. Above the clamor was the sound of shrieking sirens, and through all, when it seemed that no other sound could be heard, came the full volume 
nerve-stunning clangor from the radio cone's wide-open throat as the trumpets and brass of all monster bands of earth broke forth under radio control in one synchronous song till even that was drowned out under the roaring welcomes in strange tongues as the nations of the earth cut in and chet bullard his blouse still torn where a commander of air had ripped off a three-starred emblem of a master pilot shook his blond head to clear it of the confusion that seemed beating him down and he stared and stared not at the rioting throng before him but at something he could in part comprehend a glowing flashing jewel that rested in his hand and slowly there crept into his eyes a look of understanding while a ghost of a smile twitched and tugged at the corners of his mouth the hall which one instant was a bedlam of roaring voices went silent as chet bullard raised his hand he was still smiling as he bowed toward the white-haired man whose happy face belied the moisture in his eyes then he faced the throng and his voice held no hint of trembling or uncertainty the columbus of the stars i thank you for that title which i can accept only most humbly for i ask you to go back with me into history and remember as i am remembering that before columbus there were others whose names are lost the norsemen those vikings of old who dared the unknown seas were first and again history repeats but this time the pioneer will not remain unknown i have been to the moon i have reached out into space but i followed another's trail firthjaf haldgren he shouted and extended a hand toward the gentle giant whose face was aflame as he came to chet's side firthjaf haldgren i present you to the world only one can be first and yours is the honor and glory this medal is yours alone i place it where it belongs and firthjof haldgren white of face and lips now instead of fiery red stood silent and trembling while chet fastened a jewel upon his grimy tattered blouse then retired to his chair as if beaten back by the rolling waves of sound but to chet as he watched the man go came a quick sense of disappointment unconsciously his hand went to the same place on his own chest where had rested an emblem he had prized above all else and now the searching fingers found only the mark of his disgrace then he knew again that the aged president was speaking while he held chet beside him with one detaining hand we older ones have served perhaps we have done what we could we pray that the world is better for our efforts and we shall continue to serve yet it is to youth that we must look for the progress which is to come today we face a new life whose horizons once bounded by the limiting air have been pushed back we have conquered space and before us is the waiting marvel of man's extension of his activities throughout the universe how far shall we go in this new and endless sphere with interplanetary travel what is our goal only youth can give the answer and in the hands of youth must the command 
of this great adventure be placed. Gentlemen, the governing council of the ruling nations of this earth has created a new command. By the acts of this man who stands beside me, and by his fellow explorer, Walter Harkness, the council has been forced to take this step. That command will rank second only to the governing council itself. A body of men shall compose it, who shall be known as the Interstellar Board of Control. He turned squarely toward Chet. I am placing in your hands, Mr. Bullard, your commission as the commander of that board. The best minds of all nations will be at your call. Will you accept? Will you gather these men about you and do your part in this great work for the greater future of mankind? The ears of a listening world waited long for an answer, but the eyes of that world saw a figure whose blond head was suddenly lowered, as if to hide a betrayal of what was in his heart. They saw him raise his bowed head to stare mutely toward a girl, whose eyes of blue were swimming with happy tears as she gave him a trembling smile. And only then did they see Chet Bullard draw himself erect while his voice went out with the speed of light to a waiting world. I accept, Mr. President. Proudly, humbly, I accept. And the eyes of the world, if they were understanding eyes, must have smiled with his, as the commander of the Interstellar Board of Control grasped, among others, the congratulatory hand of his subordinate, the commander of air. But if there were any who expected to read mockery in those smiling eyes, they had yet to learn the measure of Commander Bullard, Bullard of the IBC. End of Chapter 11 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas End of The Finding of Haldgren by Charles Willard Diffin